just one quick announcement before we uh, proceed with our service. Uh, I sent an uh, email out to the the uh, leaders a couple days ago. I've already got some questions. Uh, having read the email again, I realized that it was extremely poorly written. <laughs> so uh, just to clarify, uh, those things that we're mentioning there, I, we don't need to have those by this meeting. We're, that, that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, so we'll have those, Lord willing, ready by the, the following month after we've had a chance to talk about them and hash some things out. So uh, just the book reading, that's it. Amen. Okay. Praise God. We're going to continue our service. Our service, yeah, we're going to do that too. Uh, but we're going to continue our study this evening on spiritual warfare. Tonight we're going to be talking about bondage, strongholds, and freedom. Now, once again, uh, the reason we're going through this study, uh, several reasons, but uh, if, I, if we can summarize and put it in a nice little box, uh, it's because we are in a spiritual war. And the closer we get to the end, the closer we get to, the, to Jesus coming back for His church, the more evident this battle is going to be the more in our face the enemy is going to get. And so, as the people of God, we have got to be engaged in that. Uh, whether we want to or not. Uh, you know, the uh, wars that happen all throughout history, I mean... There may be some people that want them. Certainly there are, there are people and, and companies that profit from war. Okay, they probably want war. But the people fighting in a war, they, they, they don't seem to ever want it. They don't ever seem to want the war. They're the ones fighting it. They're the ones sacrificing. They're the ones taking the shots, uh, watching their friends, their buddies die around them. If the war that they were in ended the next day, they would be ecstatic. They would be. Uh, and so you and I find ourselves in the exact same spot. We are in a war that we probably didn't want. We don't want. I want, I want to be in heaven with Jesus. I want to wear white robes and I want to, I want to be in his presence and I want to, I want, that's, that's, that's my hope. That's, that's what I'm looking forward to. But to get there, we have to go through all of this, right? And so, whether we want it or not, the war is upon us. And our general has called us to fight. The fight is most certainly worth it. What we are fighting for, thank God it's not an oil field. It's not somebody else's bank account. Uh, whatever, you know... Whatever they say out there on the news today, those aren't the reasons we fight this spiritual war. We fight for the lives, the eternal, eternal lives of our family members, our friends, our co-workers, the people of this city. That's who we fight for. And that is most certainly worth it. Praise God. Second Timothy chapter 2, 
verses 24 through 26, states this. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. So we see in this verse several things, but I want to focus on the fact that people are taken snare of the devil. The devil has people captive. And he does it at will. Everyone, all people, you, me, everybody that has ever lived, and should the Lord tarry that ever will live, has been, is, and will be born into bondage. We are born into spiritual bondage. And there's nothing you can do about it. You will never be born without original sin. There is one man that was. Jesus Christ. He is the only one. Everyone else, we have to deal with sin. From the very first breath we take, we are in bondage. That's the way it is. And to, to realize and to understand exactly why, we've got to go back. We've got to go all the way back to a time before sin. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28 says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So here we see the creation of man. God created mankind out of the dust of the earth. Everything else he simply spoke into existence. But man was special. Man was the pinnacle of creation. By man, I mean humans. <laughs> I don't want to offend Brother Richard. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> so we were created, the pinnacle of creation. We were created perfectly, as all things were. In our original state, everything was very good. Everything was perfect. There was no sin. There was no sickness. There was no death. God created everything perfectly after His own image. He created us after His own image. There is no sin in God. So He creates us perfectly. We were created to be completely and utterly free. To establish His authority and our free moral agency, He gave us one and only one commandment. Everyone wants to know, why did God do that? Why would God do that to us? He knew that we would mess it up. Well, there are very good reasons. 
The main one being free moral agency. He doesn't want robots. He could force us to serve him. He could have forced us to love him. But what good does that do? That is meaningless. It's meaningless. It, it means nothing. But if I have the ability to choose, and I choose to give my life to God, <clears throat> I choose to serve Him, I choose to love Him, now that means something. When my wife said she loved me for the first time, wow, that was amazing. I didn't have to put a gun to her head. I didn't have to put her on the rack and keep cranking until she said yes. She simply chose to say yes. How much more meaning does that have? I got rid of the rack after we were married. So, it's, uh, don't worry about it. It's, it's not here anymore. <laughs> I don't do stuff like that anymore. <laughs> anyway, the other reason, other than to establish our free moral agency, if, if we are going to have a choice, this isn't the other reason, this is still the original, if we are going to have a choice, we've got to be able to choose something stupid. We've got to, we've got to have the ability to choose the wrong thing too. And that's the chance God took. When he gave us free moral agency, he wanted us to choose to serve him. But that means, by default, we also have a choice to serve someone else. That's the price of free moral agency. That's the price of free will. The other reason he did it is to establish his position as God in our lives. He's the one in charge. He's the one that makes the rules. And so he gave us one. Only one. But that was enough to establish everything. That's all he needed to do. He didn't establish 20. He didn't give us 130. He gave us one. Genesis 2, 15 through 17 continues. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. All right. Now God's position and his authority was established. He would be in charge and we would be subordinate to him. He gives the commands and we follow. The way it ought to be. This is the good and the bad of choice, though. The power to choose good gives us the power to choose evil. And we see, of course, that both of these conditions were too much for us. They rebelled against God's authority. God told them, no. Don't eat. They ate. They chose evil instead of good. Now, they probably didn't realize it at the time, but there were some legal issues going on behind the scenes here. You see, Adam, we read in the first passage of Scripture, he was given dominion. He had legal authority on planet Earth. 
He was given that delegated authority. When he bent the knee to Satan, that passed over. And that's why the Bible calls him the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, etc., etc. He forfeited that, and he became a servant to him. He wouldn't serve God. He probably thought, I'm just going to go off and do my own thing. But it turns out, that's not an option. We are going to serve someone. We are going to be a servant, a slave to someone. God or Satan. You may think you're choosing to do your own thing. And uh, I don't believe in any of this. Well, that's that's your you have the power to choose that, but you're wrong. Whether they knew it or not, they chose to serve Satan instead of God. Genesis three six through nineteen. I know it's a long passage of scripture. Bear with me for a moment. It says this, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened. I'll bet they were. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. There's so much in here. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Thank God. He continues to call the people today. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, This is God. Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? The man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Passing the buck. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me. Carrying on. And I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle. And above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go in dust, shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The first promise of a coming Messiah. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. All right, from this point on, Adam and Eve were the servants of sin. Their entire nature changed. They became, in a complete reversal of a favorite scripture of mine, new creatures. But not the right way. 
They became, they went from being perfect sinless creatures to fallen sinful creatures. Their entire nature changed. Their spirits, which were once alive inside of them and had communion with a holy and a righteous God, was now dead. Their spirits were dead instantly. And communication, fellowship with that holy God was severed. Their souls, their, their heart, their, their intellect, their will, that became a servant to their body. And their fallen, sinful body became filled, riddled with lusts, addictions, uh, desires, evil desires. We see very quickly in, in the book of Genesis, right before the flood, the thoughts and intents of the hearts of man were only evil continually. So from this point forward, Adam and Eve were the servants of sin. They were in bondage to sin. And there was nothing that they would be able to do about it, not of themselves. And because like begets like, all of Adam's descendants were also born into sin. Born into slavery, into bondage. It is because of this original sin that all of mankind is slaves of sin. That everyone that has ever been born is a servant to sin. Of ourselves, we're powerless to free ourselves from this bondage. There's nothing we can do. We can exercise all the willpower we want to. And we can, with willpower and with strength of character and with personal discipline, I can live a good life. I can abstain from sinful stuff and I can, I can, I can follow the law and I can do right. But in here is still dead. It's still dead. And after all my good works, and after... <laughs> I promise you, my character is going to come out at some point. I don't care how good someone acts. And I'm talking about the lost. I'm talking about me before Jesus. Before I came to the Lord, I thought I was a pretty good person. I was moral. I knew what the Ten Commandments were. I felt bad. My conscience convicted me of things. Not the right things all the time, but some things. And when it did, I stopped doing them. I thought I was a good person. But every once in a while, I get myself into a situation, a high-stress situation, where the weight of life started coming down on me. And then all of that garbage and all of that junk would spew out. If you'll forgive the analogy, like a popped zit. And I know it's gross, but that's kind of pretty much what it was. And that's how we are born, with all of that junk inside of us. We are at the whims of Satan and his kingdom. We are his slaves. And I promise you folks, he's not a good taskmaster. 
<laughs> there was a guy that I worked with in Worthington at the uh, manufactured home company. He uh, he was working there a couple weeks, and he wanted some time off to do something with his family. And they denied him. And he was upset. He was He was a little bit hurt. He was like, you know, I honestly don't think they care at all about my family. And we all laughed, you know, thinking he was joking. Because <laughs> obviously they couldn't care less about his family. This is, this is Highland Manufacturing here. <laughs> they don't care about your family. And then we're like, wait, you're serious? And then we really started laughing. <laughs> the poor guy, he just... He didn't know. He thought that they cared for his family. They didn't. Satan could care less, couldn't care less about you. In fact, he hates your guts. He hates everything about you. He wants to see you dead. Preferably dead without the Lord. If he could ever get permission to do it from God, he'd kill you right now. These comedians and these, these, these people, uh, well, at least in hell they're going to have good music. Well, at least in hell it's going to be one big party. They, uh, I mean, there, there, I think there are levels of deception, and that's a pretty deep one. Thinking that that's going to be a good place to go thinking that serving Him is preferable to serving Jesus Christ. But that's where we're born, His servants. And He has dominion over us. When He tells us to jump, we say how high. When He tells us to go here, we do. Smoke that, we do. Drink that, we do. Go over there, we do. Because we're in bondage to sin. Now, it's different for everyone. Not everyone smokes this or drinks that. But you're engaged in something. Because in Old Testament vernacular, you're an Egyptian. And Egyptians do what Egyptians do. During the Exodus... We see the Egyptians' attitude toward the Hebrews. They were not interested in the Hebrews' well-being. They were not interested in their development. They were not interested in their retirement plan or how their family was doing. Uh, they were interested in, in making, can you make us some bricks? Can you go to the quarry and cut us some slabs? If you can't, then you're no good to us. And we will get rid of you and so that we make room for someone that can. Because we don't want to feed you if you're not going to work. The Egyptians did not love the Hebrews. They hated and feared them. The Egyptians' only desire was to use the Hebrews up and cast them aside. What can I get out of them? <clears throat> then God, out of love and compassion for His people, 
miraculously and mightily delivers them from bondage and slavery. With a mighty hand, the Bible says, and with an outstretched arm, He yanked them, literally, from bondage into perfect liberty. And after their deliverance, all they wanted to do was go back. All they wanted to do every time any situations came up. Oh, I wish we were back in Egypt. Oh, I miss the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Back in Egypt, we had this. Back in Egypt, we could do that. That's not what they were saying just a little bit ago. They were crying out to God for a deliverer. But now, see, this is, this is what God gets to deal with. And it's not just them, it's you and me. It still happens today. We're still the same human character. We have the same character. We're not evolving into something bigger, faster, better, stronger. We're not evolving into some egalitarian society where there's no inequality, none of that. We are the same human beings we were in the Garden of Eden. And we will be the same human beings until Jesus comes back. With the same foibles, the same failures. There is nothing good in us. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. This is the nature of sin. In us, in ourselves, we do not want to be delivered. That's the hard truth. Now, there comes a time where we do want to be delivered. And that's the mercy of God. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But in and of myself, I was very fine living in sin. Everyone is. Now, they may hate their specific situation. They may wish they had more money and more fame or whatever it is. Better house to live in, blah, 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 blah. But they're very content living in sin. They're very content doing what they want to do. Doing things their way. That's why people invest so much time and energy into these intellectual house of cards that people build for themselves against the knowledge of God. They cannot accept a holy and a righteous God ruling over them, telling me what to do, so they have to erect this this house of cards trying to convince themselves that God doesn't exist or... Yeah, there's something out there, but we can't know anything like that. Uh, and so, well, I'm free to make my own call. I'm free to make my own choices. In here, that, that makes it okay. But see, the problem with that is I can, I can talk myself into pretty much anything if I want it bad enough. But that doesn't make it true. It doesn't. People who, who end up getting uh, amputees, people who, who end up uh, getting limbs removed, they have something called a phantom limb. Most of you have heard of that. No one here has experienced it. Praise the Lord. But they'll be sitting in bed, you know, their seats on them, and their leg will itch. 
But the leg's gone. But they will they will promise you it's there and it itches like crazy. But it's not there. Just because he, just because the person is is feeling that that itching feeling doesn't make it true. We can we can put anything we want up here. But it doesn't make it true. A lot of people feel, you know, extreme emotions in in high stress situations. It's a natural reaction, but it, it doesn't make it doesn't make that the reality. I can convince myself that every one of you hate me. I could. I don't believe that's true. I'll never believe that's true. Because you guys are too nice. <clears throat> Doesn't make it true. So this is, this is where we start. We're in bondage to sin. There's no way I can get myself out of it, even if I wanted to. And I don't really want to. That's where the Lord comes in. More about that in a moment. Okay, demonic possession slash oppression. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Okay. Possession. First of all, uh, I believe that uh, the Bible teaches that if you have the Holy Ghost, uh, you cannot be possessed by a demon or a devil or an, any such thing. There is a, such thing as oppression. We'll talk about that. But possession, you know, if the infinite power of God is resident in this temple, I don't think anything else is going to be there. Okay. Enough said there. When we receive the Holy Ghost, God comes in and dwells in His temple. He does this legally. Okay, God is a God of law. He's a God of order. There's a legal process. Okay, first of all, He's the one that created us. Right? So, that kind of makes us His right out of the gate. And then, He pays the price of our sins Himself. That thing that separates us from Him, He wipes it clean. Or at least potentially. Now we have a way out. He works in people's hearts. He reveals truth to them that they are in bondage. And then He gives them desire to change and He gives them the choice to do so. Okay, and this is important to understand. Nobody came to the Lord. The Lord came to us. He's the one that drew us. He's the one that wanted a relationship with us. We didn't really want anything to do with Him. We didn't. Except He first came to us and put that desire in us. It is of Him both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Not of us. And so, when He works that in us, that desire, and He, and he, he removes the veil from off of my heart and helps me to see truth. If I die now, I'm not going to make it. I see the I see the reality of the situation. I see where I truly stand with God, and it's not good. 
And then He gives me the desire to come to Him. And He gives me the choice to do so. He gets my permission. And I hate saying it that way. I mean, He's he's God. But this is the way He's instituted it. He's given me free will. So legally, He needs my permission then to enter in. He mightily delivers the individual from the bondage of sin and death and into the liberty of the children of God. He does this by giving us a place of repentance. First and foremost, He gives me godly sorrow unto repentance. He causes me to submit myself to to water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. He gives me His name. He adopts me into His family. And then He comes and dwells in us when we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the process He follows. It's a legal process. When He comes in, everything is decent and in order. When the devil possesses an individual, he does so illegally. Now it's true He has authority over over us before God. He has dominion over us. But see, what He does is He lies, manipulates, hurts, and destroys things in our lives to create an opening whereby He can come in. A door that He can forcefully enter. He's not waiting for our permission. He's just waiting for an opportunity to get in. If we crack the door open... He's going to come in. And He will never let you go. Not unless someone stronger makes Him. That's demonic possession. And it is a real thing. If you're in doubt, that's not just some fringe, conservative, wacko religious group saying that. That's Scripture. That's Bible. And... We can bring in missionary after missionary after missionary. Uh, They deal with it all the time overseas. Regularly. In fact, overseas, in Africa, for example, where you're dealing with tribalism, you're dealing with witch doctors, those kinds of uh, animistic religions, you're dealing with spirits. All the time, you're dealing with spirits. And so, when you become a new convert over there, you get your hands dirty right away. You probably became a new convert by having one exercised from you. Chances were pretty good. So this is a real thing. In the more sophisticated United States, that scares us a little bit. If someone were here right now, frothing at the mouth and, and acting crazy, that would freak some of us out. Because we don't see that. We don't see it all the time. But it is in the United States, most assuredly. And as immigration becomes more of a thing, and all of these cultures start in-flooding us, it's going to be more prevalent. 
because they're going to bring those spirits with them on top of the spirits we already have. <clears throat> so we need, to, we need to recognize that. As the people of God, we need to understand. And it's not, it's not a scary thing. It doesn't have to be a scary thing. The devil, demons, they are defeated. The only power they have over you is if you give them power. That's it. Which leads us into oppression. Okay, a Holy Ghost-filled believer cannot be demon-possessed, but he can be oppressed. <clears throat> when a believer opens doors to the enemy in their lives, the enemy will come in. And this is why we have to be so very careful of what we allow into our lives. We have got to be careful. And the reason is this. The enemy is waiting on the other side of that movie picture. The enemy is waiting to come in on the other side of that music. And I know I'm starting to sound a little bit, uh, how would you say it, old-fashioned, legalistic, whatever. Whatever you're feeling right now, that's what I'm trying to say. (laughs) In any case, it's still true. These things mask something else. It's just a movie, though, dude. It's just a song, man. No, it's not. It's a gateway. It's a gateway. And as, as vehemently and as forcefully as I can warn all of us here tonight, we have got to be careful what we put in front of our eyes, what we listen to, the establishments we frequent. All of these things are gateways, and it may not happen the first time. It may not happen the tenth time. But if you keep entertaining that, if you keep opening that door to the enemy, eventually he's going to come in, and he's going to get a hold of an area of your life. And now you've got a problem. Now you've got a problem. Don't let yourself become oppressed. Don't, let, don't open any doors. Don't open any gateways through which the enemy can come. Close everything. It's like in medieval times. You know, you got the castle. The enemy was outside laying siege to it. Nobody in their right mind would open the castle gate. No one would do that unless they were traitors or they were bought off. But the people of the city, they would not open that gate for any reason. Why would we? Why would we open a gate to the enemy and let him come in? This is war. And I don't care how fun it looks. I don't care how cool it looks, how candy-coated and shiny it looks. Inside is death. That's the purpose of sin. That's the end result of sin. Death. Don't play with sin. Don't play with it. You're not strong enough. You're not spiritual enough to play with it. Okay? Just avoid it. Run from it. Have nothing to do with it. Okay, the human spirit. 
Brother Lee Stone King has said, and I'm sure other people have said as well, I'll take a demonic spirit any day. I can cast that out in a, in a minute. But the human spirit, there's nothing I can do with that. And that's the truth. We have been given power and authority over all the works of the enemy. We have been given power and authority over spirits. Devils, demons, all of them. But we have no power or authority over an individual's free will. We don't. God will not and we cannot violate free will. I understand a a stubborn, rebellious human can seem like they're demon-possessed. They can. But it's possible it's just a stubborn, rebellious human spirit. And as Christians, as people of God, we have got to be discerning. We have got to be able to discern spirits. That's part of warfare. Knowing who your enemy is. Okay, strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3-5 through says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Amen. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, before the Lord, before we come to Jesus Christ, and He saves us, He delivers us from sin, everybody has sins that they're dealing with. Okay, Everybody comes to the Lord packed full of it. Okay, I don't care who they are, I don't care how good they seem, how righteous they look, they're packed full of sin. Because that's their nature. That's the old nature. It is altogether degenerate. What a miracle salvation is. If we understood where we started from, and how far He brings us in salvation. Okay, these general sins, I mean, everybody's going to deal with them. But in in people's lives, there are always, it seems, specific problem areas. Specific sins that people have problems with, they really struggle with. These are what we call strongholds in someone's life. These are areas of an individual's life that the enemy has been able to consolidate power and influence over that individual. Okay, so as Christians, we need to be able to identify them and destroy them in Jesus' name. These areas, they're going to be heavily guarded and they're always well defended. They're strongholds. They're not going to just push on over because we show up. Now, a lot of times, not always, but usually, this will be an area, a specific and intense area of trauma and or pain. It could be shame, addictions, hurts, abuse, especially when it comes to demon possession. It seems that the the vast majority, certainly in the United States, that's what I'm most familiar with, because that's where I live. Um, People that that end up with 
possession are people that have suffered extreme abuse. They have, uh, they have drug addictions. They have all of these, yeah, sexual abuse. Um, just these, these horrific, awful experiences. And the enemy knows that. And so if he can, he is going to create those, even from scratch, he is going to create these problem areas in our lives so he can get in. He's trying to force a door open and get in. And a lot of times he does. <clears throat> and again, as time goes on, more and more, these things will be more prevalent. These can lead to other strongholds, such as unforgiveness, bitter and resentment, anger. Uh, it, it could be, it could lead to any number of things. But in any case, these strongholds exist in people's lives, and unfortunately, Christians have them as well. The strongholds aren't destroyed when we get the Holy Ghost. These problem areas. People can struggle with these for years, for decades even. The various lines of defense, there's nothing to see here. It will camouflage itself. It doesn't exist. It's not there. It's already been dealt with. And that's not true. Another line of defense is we're harmless. No worries here. Look somewhere else. We're not going to do anything. The last one is nobody knows. It's okay. You can keep this one little pleasure. No one's going to find out. Now, of course, we know that these strategies are used throughout when seeking any sin out, but they are particularly potent in strongholds. Strongholds can be resident in an individual, in a family, or in a city. I've known families who have awful histories. And the younger people in the family, the, the newest generation, they're good people, but they got an uphill battle. How do you deal with a stronghold? You identify it, and then you destroy it. Strongholds are... They can be tricky, especially when it's yours. When a, when a stronghold is identified, typically the reaction is to protect it to hide it, to cover it, to, to do what we can to avoid scrutiny of it. And again, that's really all the enemy has. Because we have power and we have authority. If we properly identify it and come after it, it has got to go. 
It has got to fall. And a lot of times we don't want people to find our strongholds. There's, a, there's several reasons for that. But for us to be the people of God, that we, we have to be, that God wants us to be. I mean, there are... Why are some Christians so easily offended? Why are some Christians so prone to anger? It's not the it's not the specific instance that they're in right now that's the problem. It's something else, something inside, something maybe that happened a long time ago, uh, whatever it is. But if we have unresolved situations in our lives, they've got to be dealt with. And it's hard work. Believe me, I know it's hard work to, to drag all of that up and work through all of it. But it's got to be done. It's got to be done. You cannot be effective like you need to be until those things are dealt with. And that may not necessarily be a stronghold, but, but it's a thing that, it's, it's a real thing. A lot of Christians have situations in their lives that have never been dealt with. And they've got to be dealt with. They have to be. The old, you know, I'll just choke it down. I mean, that was my reaction for a long time. Just choke it down. You know, I got, I got people that need me. I got, I'm too busy. I can't deal with that right now. And I could keep doing that, and I could keep doing that. But, you know, eventually, it bubbles to the surface. You know, you get cracks in, in, the, in the facade, and it bubbles to the surface. And you can't keep it down. It's going to come out. It's going to come up. And... These, these intense reactions to typically benign situations are indicative of something way deeper, way bigger than just someone said something wrong. Those things have got to be dealt with. <clears throat> okay, freedom. Despite the fact that everything is arrayed against us ever getting free of sin, we have our sin nature, we have the world system, and we have a, a very intelligent enemy who is arrayed against us. God is infinitely more powerful than all of them put together. <clears throat> In ourselves, we have no strength or power against sin. But through Jesus Christ, we can have complete deliverance. And after that, a life of freedom and liberty from sin. That is God's plan. It's God's will for everybody to be free from sin. To experience complete freedom and liberty. To serve Him. To live for Him. That's freedom. That's liberty. Serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Daily, then, we've got to derive our strength and our salvation from Jesus Christ. Did you know He needs to save us every day? Every day we need to be saved. We've got to be attached to the true vine if we are to live victoriously. It's not our strength, but His. It's not our life, but His. Amen. For those who are still in bondage, God has given us the power and the authority over all the works of the enemy. 
God desires that we make war against our enemy and destroy him. We have the power, we have the mandate to do that. Against the human spirit, we have no recourse but to minister to them and pray that God removes the veil from off of their hearts. We talked a little bit about that on Sunday. But against strongholds, against spirits, God desires that we identify them, then attack them relentlessly until they fall. Again, this is a spiritual war. There are not a lot of niceties to wars, particularly when we're talking about our enemy. Now, once again, people, we love people. We minister to people. We are very patient with people because Jesus Christ was patient with us and is patient with us. We can demonstrate that to those around us. But against the spirits behind people's attitudes, against the spirits that move and shape this this present age, we need to be relentless. We can offer no mercy to the enemy. We identify our enemy and then we attack relentlessly until the enemy is defeated. Not only in our lives, but in the lives of those around us. Those that we fight for. Those that aren't here yet, but need to be. Amen. In conclusion, John 10.10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is... Amen. There is liberty. There are two and only two choices we have. Two masters that we can serve. God, the devil. Any other choice than God is a choice for the enemy. That's part of being a wide gate. God created us to experience complete liberty and freedom in Him. Satan interrupted that by getting us to exercise our free will wrongfully. Because of this, you and me, people everywhere through all periods of time, have been born slaves to sin. But God loved us and desired us to be free. And so set in motion a legal way for us to be free. That verse that says He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness is not justice. It is in this case. Typically, we don't think of it like that. But the price has been paid as far as God is concerned. He paid it Himself. A way whereby we could have fellowship with Him again. Those that God has freed from the bondage of sin and death are now at liberty to, through God, give liberty to others. Amen. God will use you and me to set at liberty those that have no liberty at this present time. Praise God. Let's all stand.